when it comes to creating content for TikTok, I think you need to test a variety of things. But I think what people are looking for is not stuff that is overly produced. If you're coming at it from that angle, you're approaching it the wrong way. I think creating as much user-generated content as possible at the, I don't want to say lowest quality, but at the most organic looking way as possible and testing what's working is probably going to be the best strategy for TikTok. Welcome back to the Honest Marketing Podcast, where you learn proven strategies to grow your business without selling your soul. I'm your host, Travis Albritton, and maybe you noticed, but with the colder weather, got a nice little frog in my throat, but that's not going to stop us from having a great uh, podcast today. And my guest today, Mike, is just phenomenal. Uh, so the reason I was really excited about having this conversation and sharing it with you is because most of the conversations I have are around digital products, softwares, uh, different offers like that. But Mike and his team at AMZ Advisors, they specialize specifically in e-commerce brands and their expertise is really, really strong. They're one of the initial uh, Amazon marketing agencies like way back in the day and had just a ton of experience and a wealth of knowledge when it comes to e-commerce, building an e-commerce brand, building out a full funnel, not just with Amazon to sell your services, but how to leverage Amazon to get in front of your ideal customers and clients with your products and then leading them into a long-term relationship. Uh, so that was phenomenal. We talked about TikTok and how they're using TikTok ads and their strategy for TikTok for driving traffic to Amazon and then ultimately back to the mothership, the e-commerce brands websites. And then we talked about some of the things that you need to think about and consider if you want to expand your business overseas. There were some things I didn't even know about that I'm glad that he brought up and uh, educated me on when it comes to regulatory uh, environments or things like that. And I think and on a big picture, my big takeaway from this was just what an incredible opportunity there still is in the e-commerce space, that it doesn't have to just be direct to consumer, build an Instagram account and then try and, you know, do everything by your own steam. But there still is a huge opportunity to leverage these mega platforms to make money for your business and then drive long-term results as well. Make sure you stick around to the very end or I'll give you my number one takeaway from my conversation with Mike. But here it is. Let's dive in. Well, Mike, welcome to the Honest Marketing Podcast. Happy to have you here today. Hey, Travis, thanks for the invitation. I'm really excited to be here talking with you today. Awesome. So before we dive into uh, the meat of the episode, can you just take a moment to introduce yourself and specifically the work that you do with AMC Advisors and the other uh, companies that you have for different verticals and markets? Of course. Um, so uh, as you said, I'm Mike. I'm originally from Connecticut. I live in Guadalajara, Mexico. I've been in Guadalajara for six years. Uh, my wife is actually from here, which is part of the reason I'm down here. Uh, I'm the CEO of AMZ Advisors. Uh, what we do at AMZ Advisors is we partner with brands and manufacturers that are looking to sell more on the Amazon platform. And we help them manage their advertising, their marketing strategy, and pretty much everything they need to do to maximize their sales there. Uh, I also run a variety of other companies, uh, AMZ Global, where we help brands expand from the U.S. to Europe or the U.S. to Asia and vice versa, uh, as well as Go Events, where we are specifically focused on bringing U.S. and foreign brands into Latin America, where I live. So uh, that is high level, everything that I've d I'm doing, everything I'm involved in. And uh, yeah, it's been a great ride uh, kind of helping at this point over 300 brands uh, maximize their sales on the Amazon platform. That's fantastic. Now, before I, I dig into my first question, uh, do you have a personal uh, uh, stake in the kind of brands that you pursue to bring into the Mexican market? Like, man, I really wish I could buy this here. Let me approach <laughs> this brand and see if I can maybe get them to sell stuff over here. 
Um, I would say, well, no, we haven't, we haven't gotten that far yet. I will say that there are definitely brands I want to get here, but, uh, I haven't gotten that, uh, particular with it. I would say it's more of a just consumer choice, uh, in general. I mean, like the options I have to buy certain products or certain brands, uh, in Mexico is limited, um, for a variety of different reasons. A lot of it's regulatory, a lot of it's like business practices, um, but it also just kind of sucks because it's like, if I'm going to buy something from the U S a lot of times it's going to show up and there's going to be an import tariff bill and I'm going to have to pay the tariff before I can even get the product released. And that tariff can be anywhere from, you know, 60 to hundred percent of the price of the good. So it's like, it kind of just sucks buying stuff on Amazon from, from here because you never know what you're actually going to end up paying. Man, pro- problems you didn't know existed in the world until you, until you live it and experience it. And that's why uh, we're trying to solve it. So That's right. That's why you're trying to solve it. So so I want to break up this interview into to two halves. The first half I want to focus on is Amazon and specifically e-commerce brands that want to sell on Amazon because it can be this really scary idea of we're going to put most of our eggs in this basket of the world's number one store, which makes sense. But then you hear stories about Amazon scraping data and then creating competitive products. You know, the risk of building on somebody else's platform instead of creating your own platform and controlling your own kind of destiny, but without the traffic and having to generate that yourself. So what are some best practices or maybe let's start here. What are some myths that a lot of e-commerce brands believe about Amazon that aren't true or aren't true to the extent that people maybe make them out to be? Uh, I would say that that's a tough one. I would say the first one is that you can't make money on Amazon. Uh, it's definitely possible. It depends on your product. It depends on your goals. Uh, obviously, the cost of advertising is higher. It has its own fees, which makes it more challenging. But it's still possible to do. Um, I would say another, that's well, not really a myth, but uh, it's true, is that you don't get access to customer data. Uh, Amazon doesn't give you the information itself, but there are ways and techniques that you can start creating uh, processes to capture emails uh, and start building lists and other things. And I think that's where a lot of the value is for for brands that control their own channels is that once they start looking at how they can leverage Amazon to capture more consumers, bring them to other platforms in the future is where they really start seeing like, oh, this makes a lot of sense for me to be there. Well, and it's very similar to, you know, brands that advertise on Facebook or Instagram or LinkedIn. It's like you're starting on somebody else's platform. And you're trying to bring them over to a place where you can control that connection. You have that person's information. You can reach out to them directly, service them directly. Uh, but, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I think Amazon can be made out as the boogeyman of, you know, they're just going to use you and abuse you and then leave you on the roadside. But there is opportunity. There's a reason people sell on Amazon because you can still make money there. Uh, so what are what are some of the best practices that that you've seen just across the board with the brands that you work with? that either already have an Amazon presence and want to expand it, or they've started direct-to-consumer and they want to shift into using Amazon to grow their business. What are the different things that you do when you're first assessing a company and the potential for growth on Amazon? For sure. So, and just to highlight another point of what what you mentioned there is that uh, it's over 70% of all online products are to start on Amazon. So when we start with that information, it's it, it makes more sense. It's like this is a, a brand discovery platform. So I need to be on Amazon to be discovered. I would say the initial first best practices you can do is to consider 
Amazon as a sales funnel itself. I mean, you're going to have middle of the funnel for people that are ready to buy, uh, sorry, bottom of the funnel for people that are ready to buy, middle for funnel for people that are considering different brands, and then top of the funnel for awareness. And then when you think of Amazon for being a brand awareness tool, it fits within your broader uh, funnel of your business of like, how do I get people to find me on Amazon? How do I get them to find me on my website? So on and so forth. When you start shifting the way you look at it, then you start seeing more opportunities. So initially, when you're first coming to Amazon, you really want to focus on that bottom of the Amazon funnel is how do I get people that are searching for a product to buy my product? Sponsored products help helps with that. Uh, focusing on the main keywords that are related to your products with sponsored product ads is going to show your product in those top three search results when people come uh, to Amazon to buy the product. If your product is relevant for those keywords and you have good looking content, you have a good looking listing, you're probably going to convert and immediately you're going to start seeing a return on advertising. So focusing the bottom of the funnel is, is obviously a very key aspect. Uh, merchandising your products correctly is another uh, really important aspect. If you have product variations, if you could potentially do multi-pack bundles, so two, three packs of, a, of one unit, those are all ways that we can increase average order value as well. Uh, so that's another way to maximize the actual return that you're getting from your advertising or uh, you know the, the initial purchase of the consumer. Uh, it, you can expose them to different products. You can get them to spend more with you. All those things are beneficial. I would say another key aspect uh, that a lot of brands don't consider is utilizing uh, product inserts or uh, some type of way to drive consumers to a different site. So a good example of this uh, could be creating you know, digital assets. It could be creating um, you know, warranties, a lot of different things where someone needs to go somewhere else to register for something. Uh, and that's how you start capturing the emails and then you can start leveraging them. So once you start building the system, you can see that you can add more and more pieces on. And as you move further up the funnel into brand awareness, you're starting to advertise on competitor products. Uh, sorry, on consideration, starting to advertise on competitor products, brand awareness. Uh, you can actually leverage Amazon's programmatic side, the DSP platform, to create lookalike and custom audiences based on the people that have already purchased your product. So now we're talking about how do we find more people similar to Facebook that are already purchasing, uh, that are similar to the people that are already purchasing my product. And we're exposing them to the product inserts and we're you know giving the potential for them to, to opt in and build an email list somewhere else. And you can kind of see how powerful that can get over time, uh, especially when 70% of all on searches are starting there. Now we're talking about reaching a massive audience and really working it into the funnel. So a couple things. Uh, one, the, the thing that stands out to me is just not only what, how big of an opportunity there is with Amazon, but you know, which duh, that makes sense. But thinking about the potential for building this huge, this really well done thorough sales funnel, reaching the whole person at every stage of the buyer's journey and having specific strategies for shifting them away from an Amazon buyer to someone that's more direct to consumer where you have that connection. Uh, do you have any examples that you can share from your own client list of case studies of companies that have come through that you kind of installed this whole process for and maybe what a before and after could look like just so someone listening that maybe has an e-commerce product or brand is, is wondering like what's possible if I were to implement all these different steps, like what would that look like? So, uh, I mean, I can't go into specifics about the brand, but I can talk about how it works. Um, so again, when we're talking about, uh, on platform stuff to begin with. 
first, you know, the main focus is get the listings good, uh, you know, ranking well and indexing well for SEO. That's the most important thing. Uh, starting to run the advertising as the initial testing, you're going to identify what the highest converting keywords are. From there, you're going to be able to start scaling up based on those keywords, use the keywords in your content. Um, as we've built out these funnels, we've taken some brands from doing on the Amazon platform, uh, zero initially starting, uh, to the point where they're now doing an $11 million run rate per year on Amazon. And now the thing beyond that is that once, uh, this specific brand that I'm referring to is as they've started to scale sales, you know, we included a product insert for their product. It's in the, uh, you know, it's an accessory for shoes essentially. Uh, so there was a lot of digital assets we were able to create for them to opt in and get about like how to take care of shoes, how to, how to value shoes, how to clean shoes, all these types of things that are relevant for the product. From there, they started actually seeing about a 60% capture rate on every purchase. So every purchase that was coming through, they were, well, one out of uh, six out of 10 were actually opting in for whatever the offer was and signing up on their list. And then from there they started scaling. So, They've been able to get to a point where they've built their email list now to over you know, 20,000 subscribers. They're generating, uh, I think, like 100,000 or more through their website per month, in addition to the 11 million we're already doing on Amazon, and it just keeps continuing to scale from there. So um, that is really where you see everything coming together. Obviously, the more emails that they continue to acquire, the number on their website is just going to keep going exponentially. And then they're going to be able to leverage those audiences for other things. Uh, we also help them with a lot of other brand awareness and other aspects. So one of the reasons that we saw so much success on Amazon is that we were running TikTok ads and TikTok videos. We were pushing TikTok traffic to Amazon, which has a higher conversion rate than your website. So we're acquiring more customers that way. They also got into TikTok shops, which was generating a ton of revenue for them. So all of these things really tie together. And it's important to look at the bigger picture instead of seeing a lot of brands get so focused on, you know, I'm not making money on this sale or my margin's too low on this sale or whatever it is. But the reality is it's going to have a massive impact on your brand in the long run when you start looking at how everything fits together. Yeah. Once you have that perspective of the, the true lifetime value of a consumer or a new customer and that Amazon might just be the first date, it's the first handshake, right? And then you're transitioning them to a longer term relationship, you know, in the context of, you know, digital marketing and funnels, another term that might be used is like a self liquidating offer or uh, a tripwire funnel or whatever, where you're basically paying for whatever advertising spend that you have There's a break even point. And the quicker you get over that to then continue to service that customer on the back end, all of that is profit because you've paid to acquire this customer, whether it's through Amazon or a Facebook ad or something like that. Um, you know, so, so seeing Amazon, not necessarily as like, this is our whole business, just selling stuff on Amazon to Amazon as a key cog in the machine that we're building for a sustainable business, use a lot, utilizing the number one search platform for shopping in the world. Exactly. And I think that's, that's one of the areas where most brands don't think of it is Amazon is just a tool. It's a tool that you're going to leverage. Uh, the on-platform advertising is obviously keeping people on platform. But all the other aspects that you can run from, you know, product inserts, um, the DSP side, all of these things are going to help acquire more customers for your brand in the long run. So it's massively beneficial to be on Amazon. Now, you brought up TikTok. So I have to ask, because there aren't a lot of people that I know. It's still very new as an ad platform. Um, a lot of experimentation going on. So walk me through, like, what is working 
with TikTok ads specifically for e-commerce and maybe how it's different than Instagram. Because Instagram, for the longest, was kind of the greatest of all time when it came to e-commerce DTC brands. But I imagine TikTok is starting to eat into that. Like, what what are the strategies you're using there and what are you seeing that is successful? So we continue to test different things, but we've seen a really interesting trend in that, like, the lowest quality production actually does the best. Um, when we try to overproduce content on TikTok, it comes off fake and ingenuine, and it honestly is done not so well. We did uh, for this one brand, it is probably the lowest quality uh, video we've ever seen. It was a, I forgot exactly what we did, but it was a video of like their warehouse in the background uh, on like a green screen with the guy standing in front of it and talking about the brand. And that, those, uh, that ad or that video in particular generated close to like half a million dollars in sales. And we were like, how, how is this possible? So <laughs> when it comes to creating content for TikTok, uh, I think you need to test a variety of things, but I think what people are looking for is not stuff that is overly produced or, or like highly produced. I think if you're coming at it from that uh, angle, you're approaching it the wrong way. I think creating as much UGC content, user-generated content as possible at the, I don't want to say lowest quality, but uh, at the most organic looking way uh, as possible and testing what's working is probably going to be the best strategy for for uh, TikTok. Yeah. Well, everyone's got their antennas up looking for those ads, looking for those little sponsor tags. And, you know, uh, that I was going to ask you about that branded content versus user-generated content because my hunch was similar to what you said, which is when it comes to TikTok, if you want to be hip with the kids, you got to do what the kids are doing, you know? Uh, not that it's a kid's platform anymore. It's certainly aged up very quickly. But uh, creating content that's relevant to the platform you're using, you know? So a video that you'd make for Instagram is different than a video that you'd make for TikTok, which is different than a video you'd make for Facebook because they each have their own kind of rules that they play by. And so if you want to succeed on any one, you have to really lean into what works there. Now, if you had any... Uh, arm wrestling matches with brands that aren't super fired up about the kinds of videos you're using to promote their stuff on TikTok, wanting it to be more polished, wanting it to be more brand aligned, or are they like, you know what, Mike, we trust you. If you say it's going to make us more money, we'll go for it. Like what are, what are those conversations like? I mean, that's, that's more or less how we approach it is that we're not going to bring it to brands that are like super protective of how everything looks. We want brands that are flexible, open to ideas because at the end of the day, like E-commerce is just about being as flexible and as adaptable as possible. And if you're not, if you're very stuck in um, a mold of how your business should be run or, or, or is going to be run, then you're not going to be open to new ideas. And at the same time, like it's not going to be worth the energy and, and time on our part. We have fun when we get to test out new things. And like when we got to test out these TikTok ads with the, this client, uh, we were pretty excited about it. We were like, you know what? Let's just give it a try. This is what work. This is what we see working or what's getting the most engagement, the most views. Let's try something similar. And with the hypothesis we had, we were actually able to test it and get results. So it's a big game for us at the end of the day. It's like we want to come up with new ideas. We want to try new things. And some of them are going to work. Some of them are going to fail. But at the end of the day, we're all going to learn. And it's going to help us as a company improve. And it's going to help the brands get better results. Now, I'm thinking, again, specifically with TikTok, how much of the advertising that you're doing or testing there is just within the ads platform and how much of it is partnering with accounts and influencers that are in the space that you're trying to target the niche and the audience? The way we're doing it uh, or the way that we've been doing it uh, historically is that we will partner with 
people in the niche or people that have an audience that are trying to be uh, that we are trying to market to and have them produce the UGC content from the best producing UGC content and best performing UGC content. We will either edit it into a video for an ad or we will you know, uh, use that video itself uh, to promote as the ad. So it really depends on what's performing, what's not performing. Um, but the majority of the initial spend is on just the partnership stuff to find the right audiences or to find the, the influencers that have the right audiences we can market to. And then from there, we start looking at how we can scale up the asset. And then when you're, uh, and these are all selfish questions. These are things that I just want to know uh, that I imagine maybe a couple people will want to know as well. Uh, what's your process for researching and approaching those partnerships and for qualifying the quality of the accounts and the brand and the people that you're partnering with? Because I know with Instagram, it became this huge thing where you know, anyone who had a quote unquote audience was like looking for brand deals. It's like, yeah, well, how many of these people are from Bangladesh that are just like made up accounts on iPhones in a factory somewhere? Like how many of these are actual real engaged people? What are the factors that you look for uh, specifically on TikTok, but just in general influencer marketing and partnering with the right people that can not just be beneficial in creating that user generated content, but hopefully turn into a long-term partnership where you're not just churning through all these different influencers and and always going back on the hamster wheel of well we got to find some more people to make some more account some more videos but finding those handful that really drive exceptional results for the brand our job i mean uh, my tiktok team can give you can get more into the details here i can say generally <laughs> the way that we approach it uh generally the way we approach like influencer marketing is that we focus on micro influencers so people that have less than ten thousand followers uh and the reason being that they tend to have good engagement uh, if they have less than 10,000 followers. So the engagement rates are higher, the videos are showing or are going to people that actually care about it. When you start getting over that 10,000 mark is where people start you know, trying to monetize it or you know, people in Bangladesh are having fake followers and, and fake engagement and all these things. So we really focus on micro-influencers and reaching as many micro-influencers as we can at once. Uh, and then seeing what performs because videos that get higher engagement within a certain audience are then going to be shown to other audiences that are related. So um, it's really a testing game and it's really a numbers game. So at the end, at the beginning, well, we might work with a hundred uh, micro influencers to see which ones are working, which ones aren't. That'll help us get the exposure from there. And then uh, we leverage what is working in different video content it could be video ads, uh, both on the platforms as well as on Amazon and other platforms. Uh, product reviews, a lot of different ways that we will leverage that content in different platforms. Nice. All right. So, so now I want to shift to uh, global reach and global expansion because most companies start local. They start national. It's simple. Shipping works. Everyone uses the same currency. Uh, everyone, for the most part, speaks the same quote unquote language as far as like culturally and things like that, you know, uh, but then when you want to shift into an international market and grow into that, I imagine there are some hurdles and some obstacles and, and pivots that need to be made to speak well into each of those markets. So when you have a brand or a company that comes in and they want to expand internationally, what does that initial onboarding look like to kind of let them know like what, what to expect and what can a company expect if they want to scale, let's say from US and Canada over to the European market or to the Australian market or Latin America, and they want to start targeting Spanish speakers with their products. What does that pivot look like? What's involved in that shift? So first of all, it's going to be different for each marketplace. And the way that we kind of approach this conversation is that, you know, there's the U S and Canada, those are similar markets. 
The European marketplaces are all somewhat similar, even though that there's language differences. The fact that they're in the European Union means that there's regulatory uh, requirements that exist across all of the platforms. So addressing them in one country usually means you can address them in all of them. Uh, Australia is a separate conversation in that it is somewhat similar to the US and the UK because of common law, but uh, it does have its own challenges as well. And then you're looking at Latin America and the rules completely go out the window. Latin America is the most <laughs> complex one to expand into. So uh, the conversation will really de depend on where they want to start going. Uh, when it comes to the EU, it's usually the easiest move to make. Well, when Canada is usually the easiest. After Canada, the EU is usually the easiest. Um, mainly because, like I said, the, the regulations are the same market to market. If you have a VAT registration in one country, you are typically VAT registered in all the countries or you can get onto Amazon and all the, all the countries. So that's one of the benefits of it. Um, there's some logistical issues that came up because of Brexit. So right now, like inventory management wise, uh, the UK and the European Union is considered different markets. Uh, however, if you send inventory to the European Union, for example, you can have your inventory warehoused across the entire European Union. So it allows you to get a lot uh, faster last mile delivery to the end consumer. And that's how we kind of approach that conversation, uh, you know, get that registration, make sure we have all the product compliance we need. There's no ingredients or anything that, that we need to be aware of. Uh, deal with how do we deal with the last mile fulfillment? And then from there, it's more of how do we translate the content? How do we make sure that's localized for the markets that we're selling in? Australia, like I said, similar to the US, obviously we want to localize the content as well to make sure that um, to make sure that it makes sense. We need to have a, a 3PL partner in uh, third party logistics partner in Australia to actually fulfill the inventory. Um, again, it's not that much of a challenge because it is similar to, to US, Canadian and UK law. So if you understand the law on one of them, uh, you can more or less figure out everything else you need to do there. Latin America, each market is different. Uh, so I'm in Mexico. Mexico has its own set of laws. We also do work in Colombia and Brazil. Brazil is a, a nightmare to do business in. Um, mainly each country is very protectionist and there's different ways that it's protectionist. So for example, in Colombia and Brazil, you can't import products directly from China. Uh, in Mexico, there's tariffs on products from China and there's tariffs for products in the U S even though it's supposed to be, you know, we have a free trade agreement. Uh, the free trade is mainly products going from Mexico to the U S not products coming from U S to Mexico. So, um, that's another, another big challenge, um, dealing with fiscal, uh, registrations in each country are extremely difficult. Uh, I've set up businesses in Mexico before. Just setting up the business takes about four months. Getting a tax ID takes about, there's about a two month wait just to get an appointment to get a tax ID. So you have to get an appointment, then you have to go in person to get the tax ID. Uh, the online platforms for tax filings very rarely ever work, uh, which is a whole nother nightmare. So there's a lot of challenges from those perspectives. Uh, Brazil, Taxes are insane. Foreign products come in, they're paying anywhere between 60 to 96% of the value of the product coming in. Um, you need to have your own business there. Business registrations take, uh, business registrations from start to finish take anywhere from 12 to 18 months. So, uh, and obviously we're talking about language differences as well in all these countries. So we've got Spanish, we've got uh, Brazilian Portuguese. So when the conversations come to Latin America, it is usually the most complex and difficult <laughs> to deal with. Uh, and we've kind of created other solutions for that because of those challenges. Sure. Well, and I imagine that's why a business would say like, you know what, Mike, you guys just take care of this. <laughs> exactly. We want to get in Brazil. You tell us how long it takes. 
you take care of the details and and, and make it happen for us. Uh, I imagine that's what that's the value proposition that you have, right? That you have figured out that whole process and, and how to do it from start to finish. Exactly. And I mean, that's, it, it's taken a long time to, to figure this all out. Uh, a lot of it was uh, personal learning from, from starting businesses down here. Uh, other was, you know, just helping other brands do it and then figuring it out ourselves. So um, we've really gotten to a point where if a brand wants to get into the markets, we can get them up and running without dealing with all the fiscal, legal uh, compliance issues uh, within a month. So a brand coming to us can get it to Mexico almost immediately uh, and not have to deal with all the brain damage and the headaches that come with it. So uh, it's one of the things that I believe uh, just in general is that for us as a company, when we're solving a lot of these barriers to entry or a lot of these problems that the other brands are going to uh, have, we're able to provide a lot more value and then be able to get uh, create a better partnership on actually delivering results in those markets. Well, and I imagine that it, you know, so much of marketing and sales, which is, you know, what we talk about on the podcast here is product market fit and knowing what the problems are that your customers are facing and creating the best solution possible for that. Right. And the magic wand is always the fictitious, like if you can make this go away instantly with no work, wave a magic wand, like what would that solution look like? Uh, and it sounds like that's been your approach to this particular cracking this particular problem. It's like, Traditionally, this is what it would take to get into these markets, but we've created an offer that basically does it in a fraction of the time and we do it all for you and you just keep making your product and we'll sell it for you. Um, how, when you are thinking through product development, offer development for each of the things that you do, whether it's AMC advisors or you know breaking into the Latin market, American market, things like that, how do you think about structuring your offer in a way that is both profitable for you so you can continue to grow and invest in your team and expand and reach all your business goals, but also make it really viable for the companies that you work with that are at a scale where they have some internal teams and systems. Uh, and so, you know, whereas one company might be tempted to say, well, we'll just figure it out in house because we already got a marketing team or we already got a team that does this. What is that differentiating proposition that you always put into your offers? to really make it feel like a slam dunk, like we'd be stupid not to, to work with you guys? Well, I think it, it, I think it starts before that. And hmm. it really comes down to understanding your, your customers' problems or the challenges that they're facing. So uh, what we do from our standpoint is we have a lot of uh, interviews, a lot of conversations throughout the year with each of our clients about what they're facing, what challenges they have, what they're seeing, where, what they're afraid of, uh, you know, where their biggest pain points are. And from there, we leverage a lot of that information to figure out ways that we can help them. Um, from a strategic standpoint, I always believe in iterating around your main businesses or the, the, the products that are most successful for you or services in this instance. And because we are uniquely positioned at AMZ Advisors, uh, that is, is uniquely positioned as one of the original, one of the largest Amazon uh, marketing agencies, we are getting exposure to a lot of other brands that need help in other aspects of e-commerce or you know, global expansion, whatever it may be. It could even be you know, operations when it comes to, to building a brand. All of these present new opportunities for us to provide additional services that provide value to them and you know, iterate from there. Um, when it comes to developing the offer itself, because we understand the pain points so well, we can really use that information to, to really talk to them, really speak to them in the language that they're using uh, to really connect with them and the problems they're having 
and to reach them at the right time. So once we know that companies in this size range are looking for this type of service or companies that have these internal teams need this or don't have these internal teams need this, we're really able to start catering the offers more to what their specific problem is. And I think that's the key is if you go super broad uh, with what your offer is, you're not going to get the consumers you want versus if you go super narrow and solve directly the problem that this type of customer is having, it's very repeatable and the offer becomes very attractive. And this is exactly what we see with our offer in Latin America is that brands that have interest in Latin America, they sign up for calls like that. We send emails, we get you know people book calls, we start getting them signed up. Uh, it's very simple because they have a very big pain point in figuring out how to deal with Latin America. And we have a very simple direct offer that deals with that pain point. And I think that is the important thing, learning what your consumer wants, developing the services that they're asking for, and then helping them understand how it's solving the, the main pain point that they're having. Yeah, no, that's, that's fantastic advice. And the riches are certainly in the niches. It's <laughs> proven true time and time again. Uh, so I'm glad it's proven true once again. Uh, Mike, where can people go to find you to learn more about what you do at AMZ Advisors, to connect with your team, and you know potentially pursue a, you know, a business relationship if it makes sense for them? Where, where's the best place to send people? So... Uh... They can either reach out directly to me at my email. It's mike at amzadvisors.com or you can reach us at the website, amzadvisors.com. Uh, I'm glad to speak with you about any of the aspects that we've talked here, whether it's building your Amazon funnel, whether it's global expansion or getting into Latin America. Uh, I can help you f- through that email and through that website on whatever challenges you're facing. Perfect. Well, Mike, thank you so much for breaking down Amazon, breaking down TikTok. That was a special bonus. <laughs> wasn't expecting that. And uh, global expansion. Uh, I definitely know that I learned a lot and just really grateful for all the things you shared. Awesome. Thank you for having me here, Travis. I hope it was valuable to your audience. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. <laughs> so I would say that my number one takeaway from that interview with, that I just had with Mike uh, was really shifting the way that we can think about Amazon when it comes to selling products and services. So if you sell a physical product, something that ships, there can often be this hesitancy of using Amazon because of the the fees that you pay, the profit margins, and you know the threat of you know, competitors jumping in or things like that. But I think the way that Mike laid it out, really seeing Amazon is just a tool, one place that you can list your product to reach people that are looking for things like yours, whether they know about you or not. And then using that as a starting point, a launching point for a more cohesive long-term strategy for serving that client, I think was absolutely incredible. And so if you sell a product and you've been hesitant about Amazon, or you're currently using Amazon, but know that you could be doing more to leverage that platform and the audience there. I definitely think that you got a ton out of this episode. Make sure you reach out to, to Mike. He's very generous, giving us his email, uh, letting us know about the, the website where you can get in touch with him and ask him questions about your product and, and how they could potentially partner with you. So I'll leave those in the show notes below for you to click on. But uh, guys, this was a great episode. I was really pumped about uh, landing Mike as a guest and I hope that you got a lot out of it. Until next time, be honest. Be honest.